It's been 20 years since 9-11. Today's college freshmen, they weren't even alive then. And with our busy lives and the relentless 24-hour news cycle, we're in danger of letting 9-11 fade away from our cultural memory. We won't let this happen. Iron Light Labs presents the 20 for 20 podcast, 20 heroic stories about 9-11 for the 20th anniversary. I'm Nils Jorgensen. I was a New York City firefighter for almost 22 years until I contracted the rarest form of leukemia from cleaning up Ground Zero and was forced to retire from the job I loved. I'm lucky to be alive. Many of my best friends aren't. But this isn't about me. It's about the heroes of 9-11 and its aftermath who forged good out of evil. Love amidst the taking of 2,977 innocent lives and about an equal number who've died since then from 9-11-related illnesses. Today's story, episode 20 of 20. All I remember is them calling up Tally Ho. You're going in. And we were driving through the tunnel in dead silence. And I remember hearing, God bless you men, from a chief that sent us in. Absolutely, I remember that too. That was a unbelievable <clears throat> memory that you had, that we all had, saying that the last communication we heard over the handy talk, he was, God bless you men. And we all, I remember, we all looked at each other like, what are we going into? What is just happening here? Should we even be going through this tunnel right now because of what's been going on? And we did. After the plane struck the World Trade Center, there were concerns that the tunnels into New York City would have bombs in them and be part of the attack too. But these heroes of Tally Ho, the nickname for Ladder Company 114 of the FDMY, went through the battery tunnel anyway. Today, we talked to four of the six members of the on-duty platoon that morning. Three of the six have gotten cancer from Ground Zero's toxic environment. Two of them have had multiple cancers, and Lieutenant Dennis Oberg lost his son, Dennis Jr., who was a rookie firefighter in Ladder Company 105. It was the blessing of my life to serve in Tally Ho for eight years, and it's a blessing today to honor their stories. But first, a message about our generous sponsor. And now, let's go to my conversation with the on-duty members of 114 Truck, also known as Tally Ho, whom I was fortunate to interview as a group on December 16th, 2021. Good morning. I'm sitting here with the on-duty 9x6 platoon from 9-11-2001, Tally Ladder 114, lovingly known as Tally Ho. In my presence, with firefighter Victor Fiorella, Mike Malloy, Andrew Gilmore, and Mike Falcone. Unable to attend with us this morning, Lieutenant Dennis Oberg, who was in command of Ladder 114 on that morning, and firefighter Eric Zillis. So we'll start now with the guys. Asked them about how their day started just prior to the, the alarm coming in at the firehouse at Ladder 114. All right, guys, so appreciate you coming. Um, just let us, uh, I guess we'll start with Vic. Vic, how did the, uh, the 9x6 tour start that morning for you guys? Well, actually, I had worked the night before. So I worked the 6x9 on the 10th, and I was actually doing a mutual on the 11th with Kevin Hogan. And the battalion, the 4-0 battalion, actually was having the uh, 4-0 battalion golf outing that day. So I said, Kevin, don't worry, I'm working the night before. You go play golf. I'll stay here, and I'll meet up with you guys later. And I remember being a beautiful, clear, crisp morning. And then all of a sudden, I hear um, 
Mike Malloy saying something about a plane that actually went into the Twin Towers. And I believe you just had gotten a phone call. And, uh, and we're like, wow, it's such a clear, beautiful day. How could a plane actually hit the tower? And then, uh, we, of course, then we went on, uh, turned on the TV at the house watch. And sure enough, we, we, we saw what was happening. And of course, more and more updates were coming in as time went on. And if you could look out right from our firehouse on Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, Sunset Park, we could actually see the New York City skyline from our firehouse. And so we went from looking it on TV to looking into reality. And we just, I, I couldn't believe what I was actually seeing. Mike, um, what's your take? Same. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a gorgeous day out and, you know, preparing it just like everything else. And uh, got the phone call. We turned on the TV and I remember the boss calling down the pole hole saying, guys, get everything together. We're going to probably end up getting called in, make your phone calls and uh, make sure the rig is ready to go. We started doing that at the same time as watching the activity out the door and on the TV. It was kind of strange because I just got back from doing uh, two years out. I was the junior man that day, and uh, I just got back to 114 in July, and I went out to uh, 10 and 10, which is right across the street from the Trade Center. So I knew a lot of guys that were working that day. I knew the building. I was at that, that firehouse for 15 months, and then I went to uh, Engine 248 for about eight months, and I just got back to, to 114, like I said, that July. So... Uh, a lot of things going through my head at that point. Nervously telling the men about the building and what's happening up there and what to expect. But uh, just listen to what the boss said, trying to get the rig ready, getting our gear together. Of course, we were going because of our, our proximity to downtown Manhattan. So, Mike, you had just basically recently worked with the guys from that firehouse 10 house, engine 10, ladder 10, that's literally about 100 yards from the front of the trade center. So you were well aware of the guys that were on duty that morning and were already well into going into that building. Yeah, they were the first guys to respond it. They would uh, hear it and see it. Just like we had our doors open, they probably had their doors open, going through their rigs, doing their assignments. And uh, I could just imagine what they would do, what, what was going through their minds and how they were going to do it. Uh, unfortunately, you know, they were also there in 93. And uh, so they, some of them been through this before or they heard stories. Um, so the reality for them might not be as uh, far stretch as it was for other people because that house lived it. Andy, give us your take on uh, the beginning of the 9x6 tour on yeah, 9 I, I mean, they're pretty accurate. What I remember is, I, what, I, what I do remember is, you know, you know seeing it and, and actually after it did get hit, I still didn't think it was terrorist. We, we thought it was an accident, a small plane, something like that. We had no idea. We're, we're getting the rig ready and all of that, not knowing what's going to be going on. And I remember our house watch used to be in the front of the firehouse, a small little, it was no walls, it was just a, a desk and a chair and, you know, your computer. And we had a little black and white television there. So whatever it was, we were didn't, doing everything watching. And we see the next plane hit. Now you're knowing, because you're seeing the smoke from the other one, you're like, you see, first thought is like, did they just replay it? And then you're like, your mind is like, well, no, because the other one's burning and another one just hit that. So you're like, that's a second one. So at that point in time, we pretty much knew something wasn't, wasn't right. And we were under attack from something that something definitely wasn't right. 
And, uh, you know, Lieutenant Olberg was a squared away officer, great officer, you know, just getting everybody ready and everything else. And I, I remember, because I'll just go back a little bit, I, I was in the firehouse in 1993 when they bombed the tr first time, they, they bombed the Trade Center, and we went, with, I was with a different crew that day, and we went and we climbed up 86 flights of stairs, which took us two and a half hours that time. And we were spent, I could barely help myself at that point. We were, I was brand new on the job, I was only on the job about a year, I'm not even, not even a year, six months. And just get, get, remember, if we're going to go up, you know, it's a lot of walking. Just get ready for a lot of stuff. Uh, cell phones, we just, I think, started around. And I, we took our cell phone with us, tried to make calls, just say we're going over and stuff like that. And then I remember the other thing that just blew my mind. When we were driving on the BQE, going over that way, these papers, you saw papers reaching, you know, the, the highway. And like, my God, like, what is, how bad could it be when you're seeing papers on a clear day just flying across the river? And that was basically it. So, Mike, you, you were driving out of 114 that morning, as uh, some of us love to call the Shamrock Battleship, right, the tower ladder. Um, what was it like up in the cab? I mean, the, the, the department radio just must have been crazy. And, and what, what, was the, what was the mood up in the cab? And, and what, at what point did you guys, how, how long after everything was going down, how long was it until you guys were actually dispatched to the scene? Uh, well, I could tell you, just like Vic mentioned, it was a beautiful Tuesday morning. Um, actually, the day before, I was with the whole crew, the day crew, having medicals. And uh, I was also another guy. I says, I'll do, I'll do a mutual. And I ended up being the chauffeur that day. Got in nice and early, re relieved the chauffeur, and um, just tooling around with the rig, getting it ready. Um, guys are showing in for the day tour, and I do remember a neighbor, uh, a butcher, neighboring business to the firehouse, come knocking on the door, asking for help. His his storefront was all locked up, and I don't know if Mike remembers the uh, you and Eric taking the saw. So I actually dispatched two guys from the company, turned the turned the power on the rig, monitored the radio as I tooled around. Guys went down and took care of the, the neighbor. So you guys were technically open. technically on a call, uh, an assistance yeah, call. Yeah. So the rig is actually down. on a, on a verbal, right. and uh, act, and then and then Dennis shows up to work, uh, thinking that he was going to be playing golf that day. Um, relieves the officer from the night tour. Um, you know, things were nice. Things were going good that day. Um, Monitor the radio. Guys are looking at the news. We see the plane hitting the tower. Same thing. I think he might have called down. Guys, get the rig ready. We were here in 93. We even had our bunker pants on at this time already. Put whatever I could find on the rig. And uh, I remember the dispatcher coming over the air. Tally ho, you guys in service yet? And not thinking... I never put the I never put the rig back in quarters from that verbal, and uh, and no sooner as I uh, responded, that's when we got our ticket to go. Now, how long, Mike? Do you think after everything started going down that that they actually sent you guys to Manhattan? How long uh, was the time frame? Uh, we were watching. I mean, I could only I could only think about what we were paying attention to on the news. 
uh, second tower got hit pretty much right, right after, after that. that. Right yeah. as soon as that yeah. second tower got hit, we went. So you were dispatched on the second tower, okay? Yeah. Okay. So we responded through Brooklyn through the tunnel, and uh, we were at a rendezvous or command post or staging area, like at the beginning of the tunnel. Uh, monitor the radio. I think me and you were outside one hundred and one. Outside one hundred and one's quarters. Yeah, yes, we was monitoring the radio together. Oh, so they stopped you guys before going into Manhattan. Well, we, we our assignment was to go to the the staging area outside of the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Just outside. Oh, so the then, then you got Richardson then you got Street. your orders yeah. from there. Okay. Well, originally, the original ticket was to respond to Vesey Street, and we were following two hundred and one, the engine company down the block, and we would go out like Andy said. We were up on the BQE coming down. Um, trying to navigate that way through traffic, and then we got off on uh, I think uh, Hamilton Atlantic, right, Mike? And uh, well, our original dispatch was the command center, like I said, in Manhattan. For some reason, uh, they rerouted us and they sent the ticket electronically to the to the to the rigs to stop outside the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel One Hundred One Two Hundred Two House to a new command center, and. Uh, we were in the rig following 201, and they didn't stop. They just went into the tunnel. We didn't understand why. But our boss, Dennis Holberg, said to pull over. So they were halting all traffic going into the tunnel and into Manhattan, of course. They weren't sure. There was a lot of different reports going on, uh, assuming it was terrorist, might have been bombs other places. So they would, the fire department, I believe, was just trying to get a, a thing together, or some kind of response together. And that, that's what I remember. And we were outside for a couple of minutes out there, like maybe like 20 minutes with other companies. Some guys were trying to find phones. Some guys would go to use the bathroom. Uh, we knew we were going into, into war that day, that once we went on the other side of the tunnel, it was going to be a different experience. Um, and all I remember is them calling up Tally Ho. You're going in. And uh, we got on a rig. And we were driving through the tunnel in dead silence. And I remember hearing, God bless you men, from a chief that sent us in. Absolutely. I remember that, too. That was a unbelievable <clears throat> memory that you had, that we all had, saying that the last communication we heard over the handy talk, you was, God bless you men. And we all, I remember, we all looked at each other like, what are we going into? What is just happening here? Should we even be going through this tunnel right now because of what's been going on? And we did. Did, did you guys recall who that chief was by any chance or what battalion? No. Yeah. It's no. probably hard to tell at that point. But. I do remember actually when when uh, when we were staged at the entrance to the tunnel, you know, guys uh, gathered together, chiefs, officers, they were discussing the building type. What do you know about that? I think it was actually Chief Greslak. Dennis was talking and he was like, you know, I don't, I don't really know much about this building, but I do know, uh, I think he might have mentioned an evacuation stairway, the corridor building or something. But, <clears throat> and then that's when we got out. Uh, the dispatcher was ringing out companies to, 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 to respond from where we were to uh, Western, uh, Western Albany or Western Vesey, I, I remember. Yeah, Vessi. It was Western Vessi, right outside the Marriott. Yes. Yes, right outside. Just just past it. Yeah. Now, when we responded, we came through the tunnel, and we're looking up in awe 
on what was going on. And I remember Lieutenant Oberg said, gentlemen, keep your heads up. And meanwhile, everybody's like, all right, we're alert, we're ready, what's going on? He goes, no, literally, keep your heads up because there's debris falling from the towers. There's people jumping off, there's bodies falling out of the towers. There are whatever could be coming down. So he's like, literally, keep your heads up. And we did, and we came upon where we actually got to, and you could just see the disaster. It was just amazing that it's in my mind. More of Tally Ho's 9-11 story after these messages from our sponsors. Let's return to Tally Ho's entrance into the war zone that engulfed the Twin Towers. Yeah, it was uh, when we pulled out of that tunnel, we came out of the tunnel and we made that right-hand turn and there was debris on the roadway, parts of uh, the airplanes. There were uh, bodies with just sheets on them, just stained red. That's all they could do was just cover it and keep on moving. Um, it was pretty horrific when we turned that corner and we saw what, what we were about to walk into. And, uh, you know, we drove, Mikey drove that rig as far as he could because in front of us it was all FD, PD, Con Ed, ambulances, PAPD. It, it was kind of ironic. We went right to where we were supposed to be at our command station on Vessi and West. We couldn't go no further. Dennis comes out, and I remember him saying, I want your team to two, one looking up, one looking straight. Uh, there was reports that a fireman, Danny Sir, was already killed at that point from a body jumping out. Uh, we started walking. We went maybe about 20, 30 feet, and then the boss goes, hold on a second. He goes, we're going to do an evacuation. We don't need all our tools. He goes, go back to the rig, lighten your, lighten your load, meaning take all the tools out. Uh, instead of carrying a heavy maul, maybe just an axe, you know, you don't need the can. You know, we need any execution tools or nothing like that. So we go back to the rig and we put everything away. We regroup and we start walking towards the building. And then we heard that noise. So I don't know if any wants to chime in what he remembers coming out of the tunnel. Well, when Mikey was driving, we were in the back of the rig, and I remember just looking out the door and seeing all the debris, and Mikey's going around everything, and just little pockets of fire from whatever it was, airplane parts, something burning, something that fell down, and just, just like, basically a war zone. I was never in, in the war. Or I can't imagine how military does it, because you're just you're so disorientated from you, what you know and what you try to do, and it's like just a situation we've never been in, or not even came close to being in, and just... Trying to think of what the right thing to do. Yeah, I remember uh, uh, pulling that rig up as, as far as I could go through debris, and Dennis would turn around and say to me, why'd you stop here? And I just hit the gas again and went as far as I could. But like you said, that there was, there's aircraft parts, there's body parts, there's, there's still building falling. Um, Getting off the rig, you had to be careful, you know, with a heads up. And uh, other units already on the scene operating, uh, just like we discussed before. Dennis walked over to the uh, South Bridge Command Center, 
Uh, at that point, we were assigned to the, he came back, he says, we're assigned to the South Tower, let's go. That's when we said, we need to retool. We're, we're not fighting fire here. You know, we, we're more like rescue people that are trapped. Um, and then as we started to proceed to the South Tower is when the building started to come down on us. As a matter of fact, when I remember when Dennis said, all right, gentlemen, <clears throat> you guys go back to the rig, undo, I'm going to go to the command post, and he did. And I remember walking back with Mike, <clears throat> exchanging tools, and I'm like, all right, what do you think we should bring? Same thing, just bring a halligan and a hook, and, and we, we regrouped and walking towards the building again. And I remember going to Mike, I said, Mike, because we were paired together, mm -hmm. so I remember I said, Mike, listen, I'm counting one, two, three, over eight floors of fire what in god's name are we going to do here and mike looked at me goes i don't know but we're going to go in and do the best we can i said mike i understand that but look he goes yes i said we are going in and as we were walking towards the building and you see god knows how many people around the building when we're walking towards it and if we would have went any further by just stopping regrouping getting our tools back I remember hearing the turn and twisting of the metal and just everybody that was around had one big gasp of air after that had happened. And then I remember looking up, seeing fire as we go down, I looked for Mike and we both started running. And when I started running, Mike took one way, I took the other way and Mike's way past me at this time. I'm like, how could he run so fast, this little guy? <laughs> Which and if people knew Mike Lemoy, they'd go, there's no way. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. But I do remember, not, not cutting in on you, because uh, we did meet up with Dennis again, because I ended up running with Dennis. And so once we left the rig and met back with Dennis again, then he, we started walking with him, then that's obviously where you took over, and you heard a sound. You didn't know if it was a plane, another plane. You didn't, I didn't know what that was at that point in time. Then you just heard May Days, and I heard old things, people screaming, trying to talk on the radio, and we, we really just started running. So you guys weren't, <clears throat> the, the whole five of you plus the boss, Dennis, you weren't all together as one tight unit at well, that moment. We, we were when down. we met back with Dennis. I, I, I remember going back with Dennis. I believe you were with us at that point in time. Then maybe we took 10 steps walking towards the buildings, and then that's when it happened. So we all stopped, and then we all started running. I, I really, at that point, you were just running. I really wasn't paying attention to anything. Turn around, start running. That dust overcame you. You feel stuff coming down on your back and everything. I, I dove under a fire truck at that point in time, not knowing Dennis also dove under with me. Now, I, you don't see anything, and it was so dead silencing once you were in that dust and cloud. So thank God, and I thank God that we had our cylinders with us. Air cylinders, which provide breathable air in an atmosphere without it, like this one. We put our cylinders on, and I realized somebody's there. I don't know who it is at that point because you can't see anything. I couldn't see a thing. Because you don't realize at the time, like you couldn't hear anything, all the dust went in your ears. That dust went everywhere, and when it went in your ears, so that's why it was so quiet, because you're in the dust, and the dust is so fine and everything, and it's going in your ears, so it all quieted down. So at that point, now I'm feeling somebody next to me, not knowing who it is. So 
it was thank, it was Lieutenant Oberg, and I was just I felt so relieved at that point in time because I had no idea what I was going to do if I was ever going to get out of this because now you, you cover all the debris covers around the rig, and he just said, "Okay, just we'll, we'll be okay right now. We'll be okay right now." And that twenty minute the air that we had, whatever we had left, thank I I believe it, it definitely helped a little bit. So you guys went on air at that point in yes. your mask just, yes. to, just to be able to breathe. Yes. Wow. So. That, that I do remember. That's were you it. other, other you, Mike and Mike and Vic, were you guys now close in proximity to Dennis and Andy at that point? Or? Like Andy said, we, we regrouped together. Dennis came, I think, from the command center. We were already lighting on load. We were walking towards the building, and we were in teams of two. Uh, so, yeah, me and Vic, we started running, like, parallel to the rig, and I knew that area very well from working down there. I thought my safest place might be in the mediums because they had these big giant between the, the two different sides of the, the West Side Highway. I was going to jump in this 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 medium and tuck her in into there. So me and Vic were kind of on that way. Mike and Eric were paired up. They just went past the, the rig. They kept on running. And the boss and Andy got underneath the rig. And uh, like they said, you heard, I remember as like a, a rumble, like a rolling thunder <sighs> coming down. Like it was unbelievable. And uh, there is a lot of uh, stories about me beating Vic in a foot race that day. I, I don't know if they're true or not, but that's one of the, the big memories that came out of that. But uh, I jumped in this flower pot, and uh, unfortunately, that flower pot was pretty full. So I was kind of, my ass was up in the air, like, you know, uh, Pooh Bear trying to get a pot of honey in, the, in there. And that's kind of part of the legend, too. But, uh, yeah, it got dark and hot. You know, we weren't on our, on air at that point because we were just we just had him on and uh, the cylinders were on and uh, um, I remember just tucking my 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 face into my my jacket and just hearing everything um, crashing and then uh, it turned into an eerie silence because when we pulled in there on the, we made that right turn there wasn't a lot of people in our area like civilians it was eerily quiet for everything that was going on. Um, but yeah, after that, after that first building came down, we were all, we were probably within 20 feet of each other, but you couldn't see each other. You couldn't hear each other. You didn't know. Uh, then you, there was a lot of shots going off and all the mini explosions. And then you heard a lot of vibe alerts going off. Um, and you really just sat there cause you couldn't, you couldn't see, you couldn't move. You, you really had to wait because you were blinded by, by the dust. And, uh, when that cleared, me and Vic teamed up. We met up with Andy and Boss. Mike, excuse me. Before getting to that part, I, I try to tell part of the stories. Like, I know we're talking about all running from the building, but before we met up, I remember when we were both running, <clears throat> I saw a, a, one of the big Bertha trucks, they called them, with the uh, NY, uh, PD. And I'm saying to myself, this guy, cop, just got out of the rig, and he's looking what's behind me. And the face and what he had said, I couldn't believe it. He looked scared to death. And I'm saying, oh, my God, what's behind me? And I'm saying to myself, I'm going to run and try and hide under his rig. Never made it there. When the building came down, it was a downward, and then the outward, the air came out and pushed you. And when I finally dust had cleared, I realized that I was maybe 150 feet past the mark where I thought I was going to go to refuge because they teach you, you know, look for where you're going to go. And that was my place of refuge right there. And I was in there, like I said, everything got quiet. And when things got so quiet, I could not see the hand in front of my face. 
And what I did, I started slapping myself to see if I was alive or dead. I had not a clue. Silence, just a swishing of the air, and, and it was scary. And I'm like, I'm dead. Then now <clears throat> the dust started to clear, and I'm like, okay, okay. Now you hear some vibrant alarms going off, and you say, okay, and now I'm going to give a mayday. But I'm saying, how am I going to give a mayday when I don't even know where I am? You could not see. I literally, the hand in front of my face. And the thing I tell the story, which is a true story, I had a man come from behind me. He had a doctor's mask on. He had a brown corduroy jacket on, how I remember the son with a blue shirt. And I'm now seeing things, and he puts his hand on my shoulder, and he says, are you okay? And I'm on my knees. I got dust coming out of my mouth. I'm, I'm puking. I can't see. I, I give, and finally, I look over. I said, yes, I'm fine. I'm a New York City fireman. And I remember looking at him. He just put on his hand on my shoulder. He goes, don't worry. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. And I call that the angel on my shoulder. And I turned around. I puked up some more. And I went back to look over my right shoulder where he was. And he was gone. I could not believe how calm this voice was that put me in a place like, wow, we're going to be okay. God's honest story. We're going to be okay. And that's when I regrouped, and then we went back to the rig, and then me and Mike and I regrouped. Now, if you guys want to throw yours in on what had happened, by all means. You ever find that doctor again? You ever figure out who he was? No. The, The angel on my shoulder. Funny you say that, how calm he was. Same thing, we retooled from the rig, heading towards the south tower. Same thing, buildings coming down, I heard a sound, I didn't even want to look behind me. Started to run. Um, And I actually do, I felt I was taken off my feet because I, I remember landing like, behind a, a, a sedan or something, the back of a sedan for coverage, and I said, this is really wasn't a good move, <laughs> thinking I'm going to get crushed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when people say um, you see your life in front of you, like death, you know, you think you're going to die, you see your whole life in front of you. I re- and I do remember calling out my son's name. You know, my kids, my family. You think it just goes right through your head, these names, these people. Yes. And I actually verbally would call the name out on, you know, uh, on no control. Same thing. Complete darkness, it turns to. And you mentioned you met a fella, the angel on your shoulder. And I, I just remember starting to, I hear a guy asking for help. And I just crawled on my, on my uh, you know, on all four towards his direct, couldn't see a thing. He ends up to be a police officer. He was looking for his gun. He was looking for something. He was crying out, but it was against that wall, that barrier that was on the West Highway. I think he kind of like landed against that barrier. But visibility zero, heard a voice. He got up and left. And you always wonder, like, one day, you know, you're going to either meet these people through stories like this, maybe, yeah. or, uh, you know, so it, it, radio silence at this point, 
absolutely nothing. And I think I, um, as it starts to lift, the dust is when uh, I regroup with Eric. Everything was so unfamiliar at this time because <clears throat> driving the rig, responding in, proning it in park, dismounting and tooling up, I'm looking at what's operating in front of me. And I do remember being so disoriented from what just happened. I saw companies behind us. And I'm like, it was just such an unfamiliar picture. And another thing I do remember, and I don't know if anybody's ever brought this up, um, when it was darkness, the, the, the building came down, I heard jets. I heard jets flying low, chasing. And I'm familiar with the jet engine, you know, being in that industry for a while. Not knowing if it's another plane hitting a building, but right at that point, I was like, this is like an act of war. This is war. Well, I, what I believe was the, was the military was act, flying around, seeing if I anything else was, was going to yeah, be. But at the time, not knowing it, but you're hearing it, you're like, oh my God, is that going to hit yeah. something around us? I or? can only think that they were uh, protecting the airways because Correct. of what was right. in, in the path of Washington or, or wherever. I know by the time I got there, uh, you know, on the recall, and it was after both towers had come down, as we were coming over the Brooklyn Bridge on a bus, they, they were flying sorties. You could see F-16s or F-15s, uh, I mean, just over the Brooklyn Bridge, coming down, screaming, making turns right in the harbor and flying right back up. I mean, they were less than a 1,000 feet, and they were just every couple minutes, like, up and down both rivers for protection. So that's probably when they had just started, you know, when you guys were just coming out of that dust. Don't remember any time period, um, how long we were there for, or what was going on. It seemed like, I mean, later on, we'll get later in the story when we went back <clears throat> and pretty much off to the hospital, but no idea what time it was. Lost all track of time. Yeah, when uh, it was like uh, the first building came down about shortly after, before 10 or 5, 10 or 5 or something like that. I'm not sure you guys could uh, maybe fill me in. At that point, after because it was the second tower that was hit, but it was the first one to come down, and that was the one we were supposed to go into. But when everything was was done, uh, pretty much everything in front of our rig was carnage. Less than fifty to uh, maybe seventy-five feet. All those cars, all those response vehicles were under metal girders. Uh, everything from the pedestrian bridge. Right, that second pedestrian bridge to our rig was okay, but everything in front of that was crushed. And at that point, I think our windows were blown out. Our rig was on fire, right? I remember Dennis telling me, put the rig out underneath the, on the undercarriage. There was all paper and stuff burning. And that's also when uh, the building next to the Marriott got on fire too, right? Right? Was, was that building burning after, after the first one came down? I don't remember because we were so focused. Like you said, right in front of us was so much disaster. It was, rigs were on fire. Uh, the building was collapsed. You see people lying all over. And the only thing I remember is everybody coming back, let's get an operation. Let's get the rig in operation. Now, I remember Mike and I being there. I don't remember you guys. Andy came up with this a little bit later. Well, I was with Dennis, right? right. We were with Dennis, we actually and then got Dennis new came cylinders. Right. right. 
Right, and then he says, "Grab a can, Mike. Let's put this fire out." And then and and then he goes, "Does anybody see Mike, the chauffeur? Mike, anybody see Mike or Eric?" I said, "No, Lou. I haven't seen them. I don't know where they are." He's all right. We got to get into operation here. Victor goes to me, get in the rig and start it up. And I'm like, all right, all right, Lou, that's what I'll do. And then you were putting out fire. I think you were helping Dennis, like, clear debris or the other companies were stretching lines. Who's trying to hook up to a hydrant? Who's even trying to get water? And like I said, Mike, at this time, I didn't know where you and Eric were. We, we had were. No idea. And uh, thank God that you were. Yeah. Fine. We, when we when I had when I ran kind of south of that building, and like I said, once it lifted, I regrouped with Eric, and I actually remember telling him, I think he, I don't know if he was a probie at the time or he was in the rotation. He was in the rotation. But uh, knowing that he was a Marine, a nurse in the Marines or whatever, says, we got to stick together now. We can't split up. Um, we did see we saw a lot of people that were either evacuating from from the, the tower or the surrounding buildings, uh, burns, they had a lot of people had burns on them. Yeah, it was. There was a woman carrying a little infant that to me looked lifeless. But uh, people were just grabbing for your Scott pack, they wanted air. So um, there, was a, there was, just south of the tower, there was just like a herd of people in panic, uh, desperate for help. EMS was showing up. You know, uh, like I said, they're they're looking for your air pay. They think they're having a heart attack, but there was they were really just in panic. Right. What I so we talking. sat them down. You know, uh, at that same time, and I remember the radio silence. We I couldn't even get anybody in our crew. Um, the fire department had that mobile command. They had a mobile communication rig. He goes, "Hey, you trying to get? I'll get them for you." I don't know if he had a high-powered radio or a repeater on this rig. He says, don't worry. We were the first, Eric and I, he says, just do me a favor, sign this book. He had a book like yours. And we were the first two guys to sign that book. I don't know what happened with the book. but So no sooner he got that radio hooked up, May Day started coming in. Guys trapped. Uh, fire, you know, reports of fire, where guys were. Reports of companies, who's missing. I said, come on, get, we can't be, let's, we got to get up, you know, that's when we made our way back to the, uh, to you guys. Yeah, you're hearing all the radio transmissions coming over, Maydays, Maydays, stuck here, stuck there, need help here, and nobody really knew where they were, because it's disarrayed, right, you think you're here, but you're not there, and I remember, <clears throat> I'm trying to hook up to a hydrogen before we started moving the rig, I'm trying to hook up to a hydrogen, because engine companies are actually getting water at this time, whether it's from their own rig and or companies. And I go up to the hydrant, and I remember trying to open up the hydrant. And I, as I'm doing it, my footing was slippery between all the debris. I mean, remember now, we have the dust and debris up to our knees. So for us to even get to a hydrant, I mean, you got to be like, it had to be just sticking above so you could see it. So now I'm trying to clear the debris. And I hate to say this, but I couldn't get my footing. And I remember clearing it out, and there was a body right under my feet. So now we're trying to get the water. We hook up. Of course, now there's no water in the system at all. And then I remember hearing the radio, radio, radios. Everybody's made that. Kind of, finally, a, 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 a battalion chief comes up to me. He goes, is your radio working? I said, yes, it is. He goes, well, give it to me. I said, you know what? You could have it. I'm tired of hearing this. And I gave it to him. 
I said, I'm done. And that's all about what radio transmissions. I mean, I don't know what you guys want to tell the stories on that. That's, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Well, instinctively, I think we all knew we were uh, paired up together. And we, like I said, we weren't far apart, but we all knew we had to get back to the rig. That's where we were going to be. That was our, uh, you know, that was our rig. Uh, that was our company rig. And, uh, you know, me and Vic met, and then we walked to the rig. We met Andy. We met the boss. And uh, like they said, that uh, you know, the, the undercarriage was on fire. They wanted to reposition it. We actually got it into reposition because we were parallel with the West Side Highway. And he wanted perpendicular, uh, I think, between Vest and West Street because we were at the Marriott. Then that, that brick building was burning, that, like, six-story brick. And then, like, our operation changed after that. Once that building came down, it was no longer a rescue. We had our own mini and I bet you a lot of companies had that. We had our own many things to take care of. We had to take care of each other. We had to take care of hurt. We had to try to get these other buildings out of fire because we knew that that fire is just going to keep on spreading and going. But uh, a lot of things were on fire, uh, even though there was so much dust and cloud. And like Victor said, we walked, we came in on a clean street. And uh, unfortunately, those bodies that we saw coming in that were covered in sheets and anything that was there was now buried. Our new surface was just everything that came out of that building. Uh, we were covered in it. It's in your mouth. It's in your ears. It's in your eyelids. But, you know, uh, like Dennis Olberg met with the chief and another guy and mini command post. All right, let's start getting water. I remember Vic saying, there is no water. The hydrants are dead. He said, we're going to start drafting from the, the river. And that, that, for some reason, that became a, a focus. Like, because there was buildings there that were still standing because the building came straight down. So everyone that w was around there was trying to go towards the river because they knew that was the evacuation point because it was water. And there'd be boats some, for somehow everybody, civilians, and they were telling us. So at that point, I think if I remember correctly, that's what our operation was. We were trying to get water to hook up to our tower ladder to put the building out and whatever else was, you know, we were going to be a source of water. And that's what we were con uh, uh, working on. And you say you came back to the rig with Eric? I, I remember... Vic dragging the line or opening a hydrant or something, but that's probably at the point where I was close enough to see his anyway. Mm -hmm. And he waved to us. I like, remember. You're on the back of a rig, and we're that like, was, Vic, where yeah, are you going? You're like, that, no, 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 that was, that was after. That I was after that, the so second that, one? When you were with I, what I thought yes. was 201 and, and yes. uh, Mark Solari. Yes. I, that was that was after, after the, the fact because they needed help and he was on the back they were undoing the hose. Okay. But as far as I remember, what you're saying is that we, we were all back at the rig. I don't remember Zillis and I don't remember you, Mike. I, I don't know why, I, but I remember Vic and Mike and Lieutenant Oberg. We changed our cylinders out. Then we were walking back to what I remember being that he was going to get his details. And I, I think he, they first said we were going over to the to the tower that didn't come down. And then again, of course, it starts coming down again, and we all took off again. Mm -hmm. But then all of that, what you're saying with Vic with the engine, it was after yeah, the fact of all, of all of that going on. So we were all in that yeah, area. I, I know we repositioned We all ran again. And, and yeah. then the second one came down. It wasn't much Correct. longer after that. No, I was right there when you repositioned the rig well, we or changed we, out bottle. We didn't even get to use the bottle. We, we couldn't run. Right, we couldn't really reposition the rig because when Dennis yeah, told me, he told me, stuff. get get the rig, let's back it up because basically we were about to go on fire. Yeah. We it could have started melting. So when I went back in there, I get into the front seat and the windows were blown out. So I got the front windshield in the rig, in the front of the rig. 
on this easel. Plus you got a foot and a half of debris and dust. So now I couldn't get in the rig like that. So what I did, I took off my, my cylinder. I put it in the back seat. So now I can get it. So as I'm pulling out the windshield and the debris, and I couldn't even get to the gas pedal or the brake now because there's so much. So I'm digging it out. I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm digging. And all of a sudden I get in the rig. I start it up. And just at that point, I heard the same sound of the twisting metal. I'm like, oh no. Dennis was, I remember, on my, the passenger side, in, on his side. And <laughs> I remember him coming around. He goes, get out. And also I just see the ball of flame come because the second building just collapsed. Now, as he's coming around the rig, he grabs me out. Now the rig has started. So when he comes down, <laughs> the rig comes, comes out. So we both go under the rig. Now the building comes down and you hear the same sound, the swishing, the swirling, the everything. Of the, and all of a sudden, Dennis goes to me, where's your Scott pack? I said, I put it in the rig. He goes, what the f did you do that for? So I said, well, I couldn't get in the rig. He goes, I, so we just started doing the buddy system and breathing. He take two hits. I take two. It's a good thing you guys refilled. Yeah. So we're sharing it. I take two hits. And I said, I don't feel right about this. I'm got, I'm, I don't want to put his life in danger. I'm going to go get my own uh, rig. But before that happened, he, as I'm taking hits, I go, down, well, I go back, get my cylinder. I throw it back on. And I go back under the rig. And the wind is still fighting me. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like just go up and take it. I mean, I had to fight the wind. I open the door, put a thing, throw the thing back on my, in the training. You, you, you know how to don your mask. Go back under. He goes, where'd you go? I said, I went to go get my own, my own mask. He goes, what'd you do that for? I said, I just felt it. So then all of a sudden I said to him, well, Dennis, by the way, I don't know if I put the rig in park or not. <laughs> oh, good. So he goes, what? I said, I don't know if I put the rig in park or not, if they put the emergency brake on or not. He's like, stay in the middle, stay in the middle, because with that much wind, who knows, it could have rolled, could have rolled over us. And, and I just remember him like, oh, he said a couple of choice words, which was, I was like, whoa, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but ended up being, when I did go back out, I did grab the emergency, uh, and I did pull it, and, 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 and the emergency did go on. Yeah, so after, so that's right. So we were trying to reposition it, right, Andy? And then and, and it came down. And again, you and Vic were still together. I mean, you and Eric. Yeah. And you start, start taking it off south. After the second collapse. After the second yeah. collapse. I, don't, that, I didn't get much further because that second collapse put, picked up all that dirt and debris. And I just remember it being very hot, a lot hotter than the first one. Uh, I think I was probably back in next to the divider but this time i was on the street side of it just tucked in there hoping that you know if anything came down or hit us the concrete would would protect me and um and i remember that one lasting a lot longer than the first one meaning that the silence and the heat and the after fact and the the dust, everything was just magnified uh more uh, at that point um but i knew that we were all pretty much close to the rig Except you guys for you were and to the rig than us. At, yeah, yeah, exactly. On that second collapse, I think we I was inside of of his the second collapse again. I was starting to run again. And um, there was a police van heading in the same direction as us. He's like, "Buddy, jump in." I jump in the side door of the van. Eric couldn't keep up with it cuz he he was bigger. 
And then I ended up getting him in through the back of the van until it, it just got black again, and he stops. But the, I do remember the two guys in the van, the police department, had full gas masks saying, hey, fire department, what was in those airplanes? Like if we knew something. They were concerned with hazardous uh, poisonous gas or something. But um, hey, fire department, what was in those planes? What was in those planes? Goes complete dark, they stop, and I, let's get out of here. We couldn't back out of the van, back to regroup. That was on the second collapse. Yeah, and again, instinctively, uh, after that second collapse, we all tried to go back to the ring again. Uh, you know, Dennis was still looking for Mike and, and Eric. He was very concerned. We didn't have any radio contact. We didn't have any visible contact. I think at that second point, he sent me and Vic to go look for them a little bit. Me and Vic paired up, and we went down to south, south on West Side Highway, trying to just because we knew you were in in that direction. We just don't know how far you are. Uh, we we went a little bit. We came back. We said, "Boss, listen, we can't find them." And that's when uh, I think everything started coming to man with the incident command, trying to grab more water. We were doing our duties, and uh, I remember, you know, the, at that point, the rig wouldn't start. We couldn't get it, you know. And then Dennis said, listen, guys, we got to regroup. And at that point, I, if I remember correctly, after milling around and trying to get the water and drafting and all that stuff, we started walking towards the water, right? The four of us, Andy, Vic, myself, and the boss. Correct. But I remember that. And I don't know if we, they actually had like a small triage. It was an animal shelter, animal hospital that were there. And, and Dr. Kelly was there. Yeah, she, they was, she walked over and they were setting her up like to have like a, a place for... I guess if they found, you know, prop people with injuries and stuff. And so she stayed there. And then and that's where, and I, I don't know if that's the time we saw you with, then they sent you with 201 or whoever the engine company you was with that you went with that day. Because I remember Soleri going, I lost my guys. Now, I, I, I'm thinking at the time, okay, he lost them. He didn't know where they were because it was, everybody was, all right, so come with us, come with us. Yes. And then I thought you went with him. And then we went to the buildings to put out whatever those small fires were in some buildings. I don't know who told Dennis to, you know, somebody gave him an order to go do that. Well, that so was, we um, went to go do that. The order was to avoid the, there was, they were afraid to collapse, stay out of the collapse area. That's what I remember going towards the water. And that's when we ran into, we had that co-op or that high rise fire. Yeah, we were all sitting down on the corner. We were trying to just get some water. Remember an old lady yeah. pushing a, a wagon of water and her feet were bleeding and she was like seven years old and uh, you know, we're all sitting against this wall, spent, and she's like, gentlemen, I hate to tell you this, but that building's on fire. Yeah. And, like, the four of us just, like, kind of lean to the left and look out, and we're like, oh, man, it is on fire. Yeah. So I the boss is like, all right, that we got to go put this out. Yeah. And we were all like, with what? We have no tools. We got no water. We got nothing. So we start walking, right, because now we're in uh, Battery Park City, right? And that's what they were, co- they were afraid that the other buildings might have collapsed, Um on the, to the left or to the, the uh, I guess, the north side, right? Now we're in where there's co-ops, there's private apartments, there's businesses. We're on that side of the street now. We're past the highway. And we walk over, and we see 201s right there, right? That was, they, they didn't, that's where we got water from. We meet up with a bunch of guys. We climb up these stairs, and uh, we go in. duty guys from yeah, 201, because they did it. Yeah, they did a good job. So a piece of the, the plane or something must have went flying right into this apartment window. And this one apartment out of maybe 100 was burning. 
So we go up there, we put it out, we do whatever we can. I, I don't even remember. <clears throat> and then uh, we're together, and the boss goes, let's go into another apartment. He goes, you know, breach, breach the door, let's go in there. We need to, to clean up. So we get in there. We're trying to uh, get some water on our face. We're using uh, water in someone's refrigerator. We're taking ice cubes to, to wash out our mouths and things like that. That's, you know, a lot happened in between there it was. But the chronology is that now we're at this safe zone. And Andy can't see. Vic can't walk. Yeah. And I'm not yeah. sure where you and Eric are at that point. No, I was in the you apartment were, with you. Cause you I with remember, us. I remember it was you with checking his wounds out, right? Yeah, we were tending to Victor's injuries, and uh, I remember looking out that window, yeah. and you could see th that, uh, you could see the whole site like if it was a, a, a giant picture. Was Eric there? I, I don't I remember Eric. I think right. we were all in that apartment because we okay. all operated at that. Apartment. I guess we all did. Because I don't think Dennis would have left him like without no, knowing where he was. Because we, he we never all... slept with me, Eric. Yeah, right. never, okay. We never split okay. up. When you said that we would, uh, the rig came through. Like as we're all by the rig, and Dennis said everybody stay by the rig, and then that fire engine comes through. We got to get water, and I remember said. And a guy, the chauffeur looked at me and goes, get on the rig and stretch hose. And when I got on the rig and stretch hose, which I did not remember this until later on you told me, Andy, that I got on the back of the rig, I'm stretching hose. And all of a sudden he goes, do you remember what you did? I'm like, no, what did I do? He goes, you looked at me like so weird and you just like waved to me as we're going to stretch, as I'm stretching line because the fire, the fire boats now are in the Hudson or getting all ready to hook up, just waiting for lines to hook up. And so we were one of the first got, first lines actually to get to the fire boats, able to hook up. And then I remember seeing all these people around. And one, I remember one lady with the baby in her arms. She goes, oh my God, where should I go? Where should I go? <laughs> I didn't mean this to be mean or anything, but I said, listen, if I was you, I'd go to Jersey. <laughs> I swear that's about, that was my remark I gave to her. And sure enough, that was the best place to go. And then, right, we came back, yeah. met up, the old lady telling us that that, that building's on fire. We're like, oh, no kidding. <laughs> like, really? Mm -hmm. And then we went up and we, and we fought So this fire. must be like 1130 now, right? Not a deal. No. Somewhere around that. I think uh, both buildings are down. We, we fought that fire. The other rescue guys came in. Like, they recalled people and they were letting people through the tunnels. Or they actually, there was all kinds of reports that they, uh, they were trying not to let guys come in. And guys said, the hell with it, we're coming in. But thank God they came in because uh, mentally and physically... Uh, spiritually, even though we didn't do much, at that point of the day, we were exhausted. We were shot. I don't know if it was uh, shock or whatever it was. We were on autopilot, but uh, you know these guys were coming in in flip-flops and sneakers, no gear, grabbing whatever they could. Um, and well, the guys uh, coming with golf shoes because they're all coming from the battalion golf outing, and they saw the plane. Remember the saying? He goes, yeah, we saw these planes flying real low. And then all of a sudden, they started getting the news, and everybody jumped in their golf carts that was at the 4-0 Battalion, drove to the parking lot, jumped in the cars, responded as, as far and as close as they can to a firehouse to get gear. Now, we have to remember, we had no idea what was going on. I remember looking at you when the building collapsed, and I refused to look behind me as I'm trying to get water. And he said, Victor, you got to check it out. Check it out. I'm saying, no, Mike, no. He goes, the, the building fell down. No, Mike. Nope, I'm not looking. Nope. Nope, I'm not looking, Mike. And sure enough, when I turned around, I'm like, oh, my God, it fell down. And like I said, now you're looking at this place not knowing what's real, 
what's to do next. And thank God our training all kicked in for us because we did what we had to do. I feel we did the best that we could do with what we had. And I refused to believe what was going on. But then when I saw those guys come up in their gear, their civilian clothes, it was like the cavalry coming in. Yes. I was like, what a relief, because we are spent, we're done. Like you said before, Andy can't see. My hip is all black and blue and swollen. I can't, we were done, physically, mentally, Done. Um, yeah, I remember because I think we were there. We through the first collapse and seeing that, and going to work, and through the second collapse and seeing that. But when those new faces came in, and you saw the the horror on their on what they were looking at, uh, you know, we were just in the moment, so we were just still doing what we needed to do and how we did it right. Um, but to see what they were looking at through their eyes and their faces, it was it was appalling. But uh, there was so much destruction around there, and uh, you know. At one point, you're elated that you're alive, right? But we know at this point, this guy's missing. This guy's dead. We we'll only imagine everyone had a number in their head, not only the first but the second building. Uh, there's a lot of rumors going around, companies going around. And um, unfortunately, our boss, uh, Dennis Oberg Sr., his son, just got out of school and was uh, signed to Ladder 105. And uh, we knew based on the tickets, uh, the response tickets that his company was assigned uh, because they were closer in Brooklyn to Manhattan than we were. So they were the first wave of Brooklyn companies going in. So um, uh, amongst ourselves, we had a conversation and the boss was aware and we kind of, we were just worried about him and he was worried about his son. So uh, being alive, surviving both collapses, being together, um, there was a lot of sorrow in our hearts trying to figure out what to do next because um, as a company, you're supposed to keep your integrity and that's what every company tried to do that day and we stayed together as much as possible for as long as possible and, um, you know, um, at this point, there wasn't much to do. Um, we were down two guys, Eric. I mean, uh, Andy and, and Vic had... Went to the to the ambulance outside that in Battery Park City. And where did you go, Mike, with Eric at that point? Uh, did you well, guys go I to the hospital? Being, we didn't get to the hospital until like midnight because I remember being relieved. Uh, I think it was Danny. You guys from our company were showing up just like, all right, you guys, you guys got to get out of here now. Give me your radio. Give me your tools. And uh, we, were, we were ready to walk over the Brooklyn Bridge back to quarters until a, a city bus had picked us up, took us to quarters. And from quarters, we, we drove to the hospital. Um, we spent the rest of the night there getting all checked out. It was like a trauma center that was opened up. So, yeah, at that point, I remember Vic uh, and Andy going into the hospital you guys, again, yeah. I just remember being alone with the boss. Again, it, we're down by the, on the water side, and, it, and the sun's shining. It's still a beautiful day. The, the smoke is lifting. And uh, Dennis wants to go find his son. Yeah, I remember. And uh, I'm like, all right, boss, let's go. He goes, no, you're not coming. I said, boss, I, what are you talking about? I said, we're the only two left. I can't leave you. It's just, you know, just uh, I'm coming. Now, Dennis... I've known my whole life. Dennis was my Cub Scout leader. Uh, he was my baseball coach. Uh, his son was a year below me in grammar school. And we were, 
went on trips together. You know, uh, I know Dennis for a very long time at that point. And um, at that point, like Andy said, Andy had a cell phone. I had a cell phone. So he goes, give me a cell phone. So he calls his wife, I remember. And he's telling, talking to Dorothy. And I'm trying to give him his space, but he starts crying. He says, Dorothy, I think we lost our son. And he goes, I'm going to go try to find him, but I want to let you know. I don't know how he got the reception or whatever, but uh, he had finished this conversation. And he comes back to me and he goes, all right, stay here. We'll wait for, wait for someone. And uh, if they ask Tom, I'm going to where 105 was. I said, all right, boss. I said, uh, but I can't leave you. And he's like, Mike, he goes, I might have lost the son. I might have lost guys from the company. We're not sure. He goes, I'm not losing anyone else. And like at that moment, like you said, Mike, like out of a movie, all the old, the whole company comes turning around. All the senior guys. Um, some of these guys worked with Dennis since they were probies together. And uh, I went up to see senior guy. I said, listen, this is... Dennis wants to go find his son. Someone's got to help him. I said, you know, he doesn't want me to go, this and that. So he's like, all right. I give him my radio, my Scott Pat, and uh, we filled him in. They were so happy to see us because at that point, there was a list going around of companies that were missing, companies that were dead. Uh, there was more uh, instant commands happening, and uh, we were all listed on that list for a while. I think for uh, not only that day, but maybe the day after. And... Um, I was just relieved that someone was going to be here for Dennis, uh, that the guys were here, you know, our company was there. And at that point, I said uh, to Danny Klein, I said, Danny, what do I do? He goes, go down to the water and just take a break. He goes, we'll come get you. And uh, and that's what I did. I don't know much what happened after that. Uh, I could fast forward later on when I meet up with them. But at that point, you know, I had just my bunker gear. Uh, they were going with Dennis because we were on the... I guess the the north side of the buildings because you couldn't walk anywhere. You had to go around the whole entire site to try to get into it. So we came out of Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. We had to go around the whole water side, going to the financial center. But they were very concerned about that because of the collapse, potential collapse. Um, and um, you know, guys were just everywhere trying to figure out who was who, who was missing. It was it was a tough situation. And uh, at that point, we didn't have a lot of tools as a fire department. Rigs were crushed on fire. You know, we were putting out all the small emergencies. Guys were trying to get in there, but uh, the destructive was massive. You know, stories, three, four stories of just debris. Um, you know, my story ended. It was dark. We went to Seven to go find uh, Jimmy's company. Jimmy Richie's, who had recently graduated from the fire academy and was assigned to our ladder company 114, but was doing a one-year training assignment with Engine Company 4 when he died that morning. So we were over there, I think it was Tower 7. Uh, we met up with the Richie's family. Mm. Senior, Jimmy Senior, and Timmy was there. A lot of cops from the, the 6, 7. Uh, everyone was trying to get, you know, they were looking for their own, unfortunately. Everyone was trying to find uh, or go to the area where their brothers were or their company was or someone they knew or heard was. A lot of rumors going around. And, uh, at that point, like I said, I don't even know what time it was. This must be 7, 8 o'clock maybe. You know, Danny goes, go back to the firehouse, stock it up with food and beverage, 
make the calls, tell them that we're okay, and uh, just get the firehouse ready because everyone's going to be coming back. I said, okay, you got it, Danny. And uh, I went home with Timmy Richie's and Jimmy Richie's and Matt Walker, and they dropped me outside of quarters. And then I went to quarters at that point. Um, when we were going back, like you said, with you were with Dennis and Andy and I, Andy's eyes, he couldn't see. <clears throat> my thigh was bleeding, it was swollen, I couldn't walk. I remember looking, taking off my bunker gear, and the first thing Dennis said to me, he goes, you're going to the hospital. I said, Lou, I'm good, don't worry about it, I'm good. He goes, no, you're going. So he said, all right, take Andy with you also, because we had water trying to wipe your eyes down. We all had debris and glass. Your, your eyes were cut with all the tiny glass there. So we actually got in an ambulance, took us to the hospital, and I couldn't believe this. There were, I don't know how many doctors, nurses, gurneys, everything to get ready for an unbelievable impact of injured people. And here you have Andy coming out who can't see, I'm coming out limping, and we got like almost attacked by people because they, they, could, they, could, they wanted to do so much for, for us. And this other probie came out with us, and they're like, that's it? They look at us, he goes, that's it? I'm like, yeah, that's it. And then when they were putting, bringing us in the hospital, then I started hearing reports, because like I said before, we haven't a clue of what was going on on the outside world, like the recall. What was going on with the department? What went on with the other planes? What on with the other incidences? Not a clue. And then I remember the one nurse saying, yes, they were, they were trying to get a plane in Washington. They were playing in Philly. I'm like, w w w what just happened? There were five high hijacked planes. There's more. I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And then we went back and, uh, and they took us in. Down my, it just happened to be a bruised uh, hip, but it was all black and blue, swollen and bleeding and... Then we, Andy and I actually got, they taped your eyes shut, didn't they? Mm -hmm. They taped his eyes shut. We got back, they brought us back to a firehouse. We stayed there for a couple of hours. I, I, I remember you being there, I was just happy you were there because I knew, I, I go, what am I gonna do? I, I can't see anything, I don't know where I'm going. Right, then we, and then, then I tried to get it to, my, my brother John is a cop at the time at the first precinct. And he was at home, of course they all get called in and somehow, when I went to go out to see if I can get a ride, all of a sudden there comes my brother walking in, in uniform with his partner. I said, oh my God, thank God that you're alive. And I looked at him, I said, how did you know I was here? He goes, I didn't know you were here. I was just coming here to see if the guys needed help. That, was, that was at the firehouse. That was at the firehouse where, where we went after the hospital. That was Beekman, I believe. The hospital was Beekman. Yes, Beekman. Whatever firehouse was right It was the there. single engine across from Beekman. Yes. Yeah, six engine. Six, six engine. engine, yeah. That's where you guys ended up at, over oh, there by right. six ended engine. Up at six engine, okay. Then, uh, and he goes, if I can, he goes, I just got on duty. If I can, I'll get you a ride home. I said, all right, John, listen, if you just anything, he goes, I'll see what I can do. Because he still had things to do. He just couldn't just take me, his brother, home, which he should have, by the way. I think he should have took me home. But uh, then I went back outside the firehouse later on a couple of, I don't know how long, like I said, don't know how long ago. And there was an ambulance driving by. I said, listen, we got to get to Brooklyn. He goes, where in Brooklyn? I said, Sunset Park, we got to go back. He goes, all right, hop in. I said, wait a second. Let me get Andy. <laughs> so I went, I got back, I went, got you, and we got, finally went on in the ambulance and they drove us back. And I believe that was almost, well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 10, you 30, are. 11. Well, he drove yeah. us to the bridge. He couldn't get over the bridge. We, you walked, we walked over the bridge. My hands were on your shoulders. 
You, I was behind you walking over the bridge because I'm going, Vic, slow the fuck. I can't see anything. You slow down. I had my hands on you. I go, Vic, I, I, I don't know where I'm going. And I knew we were on the bridge because you could feel the, the metal from the bridge on your, under your feet. He's like, so we got to the other side. Then, I don't know who took us back because I couldn't see, but we got in something and they drove us to That's 114. Right. I, I, the, the ambulance couldn't go over the bridge. I don't know what was blocking the bridge, but I couldn't see. But I was behind you with my hands on your shoulders and walking. That's right. I, that I remember. I remember when you were walking. I'm like, stay close, stay close. You're like, slow down, slow down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just want to give a shout out to all the... Uh the recall guys that came in and the retire guys from the cops and ambulance nurses, anyone that came in after that, those, those buildings came down or fresh and, 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 and those are the real uh, heroes that, cause they did a lot of work. Uh, at that point, it was a lot of frustration with all of us because we couldn't do much. There was so much destruction um, and it was so much debris and mountains of, of everything that was, you know, everyone was trying as hard as they could, but there was very little you could do because of the amount of destruction. Plus, yeah. you're absolutely right, Mike, because you could see, I remember looking at guys standing around because there, weren't, there wasn't enough equipment because of what got destroyed in both collapses. That they couldn't, some guys couldn't even stretch a line to help out because we didn't have them or they weren't able to replace what we already had lost from different companies. It, yeah, everything it, was buried. It was buried. Everything was buried in the street. Trucks were crushed, on fire, Equipment just you, right. you, you so much sand it. around that the exhaust was sucking in the sand that they would be stalling out after a while. Um, so yeah, so I, I must have got back to the firehouse around like nine ish or something like that. And I remember there was a boss there, we didn't like him, he was a coward. He stayed in that firehouse all day. And uh, he goes, How is it? What's going on? I said, I don't know. My senior guy told me to come here and go shopping. I said, Help me get my gear off. I couldn't get my boots off, so he pulled my pants over my boots. He's trying to get my boots off. And my boots had so much soot in them that it turned into cement. The dust and the sweat cemented my boots to my feet. So I'm like, go get me a, a knife. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, go get me a knife. So we physically had to cut my boots off, down my boots, because they couldn't, my, you, know, you would see my foot. And it was like a cast. Yeah, so I just, I just get up, I jump in my car, and I go to a shop and to a, to a store. And, and, uh, and believe it or not, people are in there, you know, I guess... Well, I, I couldn't. I know why I was there because my senior guy said, go get food and drink. I went there. I bought everything I possibly could. I went to the firehouse. I started cooking and cleaning. And then I remember Andy and Vic coming back and off-duty members coming back um, and other people coming back because they, too, were also shocked at this point. And, again, very little we could do because we had no equipment. The guys were digging with their hands, digging with, with sticks, you know, uh, trying, you know, first of all, you had to get into the collapse zone, which was hard enough. And then you had to get there. There was still pockets of fire there. And, and, you know, there was a lot of chiefs and presidents trying to hold the guys back. The guys wanted to do more, but they just couldn't. Um, and uh, eventually, everyone, a lot of guys came back from to the firehouse that were, you know, that were assigned to the company, retired guys. And we were going over everything, trying, planning for the next day. Uh, right away, someone said, well, we've got to start taking care of the families. We've got to start taking care of Dennis, the Oberg family. We've got to start taking care of the Richie's family. Uh, is there any, anyone else we've got to take care of? All right, so now we're wor worried about 201, right? 201's our brother company down the block, a single-engine company. All right, who's going to go down there and work? We know that those guys just lost the company, we think. Um, you know, so we're planning in our own little environment, not even knowing what the fire department's going to ask of us. Who's going to be here tomorrow? Who's going to man this company? 
right? Who's going to go down there, right? I remember that all, all those logistics trying to be working out in addition to how we go to protect our neighborhood and our neighbors when we don't have our rig because our rig was down there and it wasn't coming back. We were, we were completely uh, surrounded by collapse and all the things. And, you know, so we didn't even know what to do as a company, you know, um, but we were together and, and that was enough. We knew that with our company and with our pride, uh, we knew what we, we would do whatever they asked, you know, but uh, it was a tough night, you know, mourning the people that we think we lost. Um, again, uh, I know my family thought I was dead. Um, we were on the list. Uh, you know, it took hours to get in touch with my, uh, you know, I was the youngest guy that day. I was only 28. I was uh, dating my wife, Tony, and uh, these guys all had families and uh, other families. And, you know, we would just put other people first because that's what we were taught to do. But uh, I could only imagine what each guy went through. You know, I was uh, still young and dumb at that point. But uh, it's a tough time. That next day, I remember we coming back and we cooked and uh, we brought some food to the Richies and the Obergs. I know Timmy McConnell and myself volunteered to go down and work at 201 for like two weeks because they needed guys. I know Vic and, and Andy came back a couple of days after that. Uh, the fire department responded, putting us on an A, B, a and B shift, 24s yeah. on and off. Uh, we had a volunteer raid come to us for a little while and we hosted them and we did our best. But our main concern was down at the site. And then uh, we had guys going down volunteering every day. We had four guys that we wanted to go down. And we had to sign up on the blackboard just to go down there and take care of Jimmy and Jimmy's family. We had guys assigned to his family as well, driving them back and forth, whatever needed. And um, and then our lives continued post 9-11, you know, dealing with funerals, arrangements, fighting fire in your local area and your company, as well as taking care of the people down the site. I just remember the, the older guys, because we had, there's a detail down there, 30 days. Sometimes it was 12 on, 12 off. It was in the winter, cold. It was a hard detail. You oh, know, yeah. you were earning your money back then. And uh, they wouldn't let me go down. They protected us. I think they, they you know, whenever we need another volunteer, someone else stepped up. Right. And, uh, yeah, the, the initial days were tough with the frustration, with the you not being able to dig until they came with the heavy machinery and the torches and stuff. But at that point, uh, you know, we kind of all knew somehow. We were just looking to get, we were looking to, to give the family some uh, solace and get them yeah. something that they could put away because, uh, you know, we, we know the reality. There was nothing there. There's no chairs, no file cabinets, no nothing. There was some paper, a lot of dust, concrete, and steel. Those office buildings held thousands of people with thousands. You, you couldn't find nothing. You know, maybe a few pictures existed. You know, me personally, I didn't, I don't have pictures from down there. I didn't take any steel. I didn't, you know, yeah. everything that I did, I left there. You know, I haven't been back. Uh, I haven't gone to the to this to the memorial. I haven't gone to the museum. I drive by it often, but I've yet to be there. I'm not ready to go back down there yet. Uh, yeah, it still smells the same. You know, the images. You know, it's just. You know, I, I'm gonna leave with the good memories as much as I can from that place. You know, um, and that's all I got on that. I was out for a week with my eyes. I went back a week later, and I was on the chart in 114. I think we were on ABCD chart at the time. I, was that what it was? Or it was, was, it was at the firehouse. 
And then what you would do is on your date, when you got off in the morning, then you would go, I would go down for a few hours, you know, next, another eight-hour tour. I was never assigned down there. I don't know if they didn't assign us, that people that worked. No, purpose, they, yes. That they didn't assign they didn't, us yeah, there. So we would go, I would go down, leave my car, walk over, and do what we could, because they had the, still the bucket brigade, mm. but the big machinery was mostly doing everything at the time. And, of course, the horrible smell, and you just try to keep your mind off of it because... You knew so many people were still missing and all of that. You just—it was a t tough, tough thing. But not as tough it is for us. The families that lost members, horrible. That just wanted remains. That wanted something just to end it, to have a, a, a final finish to it. Horrible. We were lucky. We were very lucky. Amen. It was. It was. It was difficult. It was uh, uh, the day after 9/11. I it was in the hospital the night of, but the day after, I remember we had to meet at 109 with. Uh, they rendezvous 109, they decided who was going to go. I think it was before they said A and B calendar. Yeah. But who's going to go? They want to gather guys to go and search. Um, Chief sent me back to quarter saying, you're not going because you were, you were there yesterday. But I ended up going down the day after. Um, and it was hard. It was a bucket brigade. There was guys from all over the city, all over the country construction workers, volunteer firemen. It was pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing to, to see and be part of, actually, how people came together from to search. the world, really. Think oh, about yeah. it. I was firemen from but, France, uh, from Italy. I remember meeting guys, you know, from Rome Fire Department. Yeah. Italy and, and, yeah. And, but and, it, it was difficult because um, you're still, you're still yeah. searching for people that were trapped. Um, yeah. Find whatever you could find, whether it was uh, uh, pieces or or equipment that gave you a clue. Bring the dogs in if you got a hit. But um, like you were assigned to a Manhattan company, I went to a 21 truck. But um, I remember on my way to work when we were split up into A and B shifts. I had a little truck. Nobody could go over the the. Right, the tunnels were closed and the bridges were closed. But if you were going to work, they let you through. I'd park, and I did see. I saw, uh, you know, fathers looking for their sons, brothers. They're looking for brothers. People just wandering around with pitches, looking for loved ones. You know, just civilians everywhere with pitches of people. Um, and I, I, you know, try to help out dig before my tour started in Manhattan. Yeah, it was a pretty amazing thing to, to see how people came together. I mean, that was amazing to me. No disunity whatsoever, Not right? At all. Didn't matter. You only wish that or... they could stay that way. Yeah. It was kind of nice. Yeah, it was, was uh, I remember the first couple of days after, you know, they had uh, lasers on everything and they worried about collapses and they would give the air horns and people that weren't down there before, they would, they, you know, they would scatter like roaches or whatever. Meanwhile, <laughs> we were walking around like, oh, that ain't going to hurt us. Don't worry. We yeah. just survived these two big things. Not, not, those little buildings ain't going to touch us. But to see the fear when they gave these air horns, meaning that something's moving, something's going on. I mean, it was just, it's still, you know, I mean, put the fear of God into men and, and they all ran to wherever they could. But, and then you would see them get adjusted to it. It's amazing. You know, we have that dark humor in our career, in our, in our profession, that we're, we get along with that stuff. You know, I mean, unfortunately, I had a lot of fun down that site. I hate to say it, but that was when, 
you know, we were just there working, trying well, to get, you know, it wasn't a recovery at we that point. We broke it up with the humor. That's yeah, what we were I mean, trying to do. That's how you do. survive. I mean, that's I remember. Exactly how you survive. I remember the second or third day being down there, and there was a guy going around. It looked like a, an old ice cream wagon, just pushing this wagon with all sorts of stuff in it. And he had socks and underwear and, you know, razors. And, and I go, yo, my man, you got any do-rags? And I was messing around, like, just threw some random thing at him, right? And he goes, yeah, I do. So he hands me a do-rag, which was, I guess, in fashion back then. I put it on, and I turn around, and I start rapping at the guy. And, <laughs> and they're like, you stupid bastard. How could you make light of anything? How sad? I says, guys, that's exactly what it is. I says, yeah. we got to start laughing. I says, because right. we're not getting out of yeah. this. I said, at that time, it was three days into it. We knew the guys probably weren't coming home. And I said, it's going to be a long, yeah. long time. And, and it... You almost felt sinful. It almost felt blasphemous having some humor at that site. But then it was like, hey, you know, we got to get through this. And what do firemen and cops and soldiers do? They laugh. They mm. bust balls, right? And, and, and it was just, yeah, it was, uh, it was really, really strange times. Yeah, even with, uh, you know, we tried sending guys to the funerals of almost everyone that was passing or that they found or recovered. And, he, and even that, you had to come sometimes take a break because it was just too much. It was, uh, you know, the the memorial services and that that you know it's it's still around us twenty over twenty years later. We're still surrounded by it. Um, you know, I give a shout out to Eric who's not here, but like after nine eleven, he got activated. He was a nurse in uh, in the military, and he was doing uh, transports from Germany. So right after that, you know, coming out of nine eleven, he started going. You know, with the war, there's plenty of guys like that. You know, volunteers and other people that called to service after we did. Um, and you know, uh, here's to the guys that carry on the tradition of what we do and how we do it, you know, and, uh, they keep the memory alive of the, the guys they never met before or never experienced that, that situation. Yeah. And Eric, uh, I think he's an army captain, right? He's a nurse and army captain. And, and he, like you said, he's continually seeing all these, these horrible events and, you know, we lost, uh, several guys, several of our guys that were army reservists and marine reservists that got activated after 9-11, survived 9-11, but got, but got killed in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's, it's incredible, their bravery. Yeah, and, uh, you know, our lieutenant, Dennis Solberg, uh, you know, he paid the ultimate price. He lost his son, but uh, he saved five guys that day, not only by stopping outside the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel when we got that ticket and uh, changed our response. Uh, then again, when we were in the first company sent to Manhattan and... Uh, he told us to uh, go back to the rig and uh, unload ourselves and carry lighter stuff. Because uh, if we would have kept on walking, we probably would have been in that collapse zone. So uh, for some reason, somehow God had his hand on our company that day and through Dennis, um, you know, he saved all of us twice. You know, and uh, you got to remember that moving forward, you know. How far away do you guys think you were? <laughs> from that impact zone or that first collapse? I mean, like, the way Vic described it was that, you know, that police officer was looking with that look of horror. So that was right behind you guys, right? I mean, basically. I think it was no more than 300 feet, 200 feet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, George, I'd say less than that yeah, the first yeah. time. First yeah. time. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> definitely less than that because, I, matter of fact, I've been to the site several times and I would go and retrack our steps. Of course, things have changed since then. But with the out... Um, <clears throat> with the way the, the buildings were, the shadows and the pool. And I remember where we were parked and I remember walking 
and I just remember where we were. It was that close. Another, we were, we were that close. The collapse zone of the Twin Towers, I would say Jersey. <laughs> yeah. But thank God, I mean, thank God, but it came down straight down. But yes, we were very close. We were about to go walking into the building. And anyone 150 feet away from you guys is gone? Civilian and Depending on which way you ran, I you believe. Were, you got very lucky. Gone. Very yeah. lucky the way you ran. Yeah. Now, when you guys mentioned uh, fighting a fire off of 201's rig, and Mark at that point had said, my company's gone, so they were already collapsed on is what he meant, right? At that point, like they, he kind of knew they were in there. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I just he thought did. he lost them at that point in time. So right. I'm like, all right, so stick with us. We'll be yeah. okay. Not realizing not he, really, not he meant that they're gone. Right. Yeah. They're gone. We thought maybe like misplaced yeah. another place else or who knows around the corner, yeah. down the street. They're gone. Like he's, they're not with him, yeah. not knowing the ultimate price. Well, that's, that's happened with a lot of companies where the engine company would, would be drop off their members because they couldn't really get so close, and then they were told to go find a hydrant somewhere. So a lot of guys were dropped, and their, their rig was elsewhere. Uh, it happened to a lot of companies, and uh, a lot of confusion of who was where. And, you know, the rotation means that, you know, guys were assigned to one company but working in another company. Right. Uh, again, it happened in early morning, so you would say, how would, uh, you know, 12 guys fit on a fire truck, but it was the night crew and the day crew, and and that was the confusion we were living in with Dennis and his son. We weren't sure if he was in the firehouse, the, the landlines weren't working, the cell phones really were spotty. Uh, it took hours to figure out who was where, because there were miracle stories of people surviving that collapse. Um, so we were unsure for a while with Dennis, but uh, unfortunately, um, you know, that day changed everyone's lives. But for Dennis, he never returned to the fire department after that. Yeah, he never really uh, uh, put in his papers. He just stopped coming because he was at the site every day, like you said, like right. all the fathers were. And um, guys just picked up his tour or, you know, the battalion or the, the division just assigned someone there in his group. Yeah. You know, we just uh, took care of each other as much as we could with kindness at that point. The story about Dennis, Dennis Jr. was a brilliant kid, great kid always clean, neat, like the kind of kid you want to have, you know, I mean, yeah. the guy just excelled in everything. And, uh, you know, he was a CPA working for the big four and he had a great life and a great future. And who knows what would have happened. But uh, he comes to his father one day and he says, dad, I'm not happy. And his father, Dennis Senior, goes, what are you talking about? He goes, you're doing great. You're killing it. He goes, dad, I don't have what you have. His father's like, what do you talk about? He goes, I don't have a firehouse family. I don't have fun like you have fun. I don't have friends like you have friends. He goes, this is not what I want to do. He goes, I'm asking your permission to take the fire department test. And um, obviously Dennis said yes. Now there's a lesson in there somewhere that I'm grappling with, with, with my son as they get older and my, my daughters and stuff. Uh, I, I don't know where that's going to lie, but, you know, how do you live with something like that? I, I don't know. But the kid died doing what he wanted to do. Mike, it's, it's funny because when he was preparing for the physical test, the boss asked me and Cameron one night, he stopped by the firehouse to do a workout, and he asked me and Bobby to, you know, bring him down to the basement and give him a workout and give him some pointers on what was going to be on a physical and something similar, I said to him, I said, Den, 
I don't want this to sound the wrong way. I says, but what the hell are you doing taking on tests? You, you're going to take like a 75% pay cut and this <laughs> and that, right? I mean, he was a sharp, Yeah, sharp an unbelievable guy. kid. And this is what he said to me. He looked me right in the eyes. He goes, you wanted to be like your father, right? Because my dad's on a job. And he goes, he goes, I said, yeah, but I left the cops. Not, not you know, not this huge <laughs> counter firm. He goes, right? But he goes, yeah, but you... You wanted to be happy. You wanted to go to work and smile. And I said, you're right. He goes, well, that's what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what? I'll say nothing else because he was right. He saw no matter how much they were going to pay him at those big time firms, he was not going to laugh like we laughed. He was not going to cry like we were going to cry. And he was not going to enjoy the mystery of what the hell is today's shift bringing. Mm. And I get it. And I told the boss that. The Christmas after 9-11, I wrote him a letter to tell him I loved him. To tell him, don't blame yourself because there was nothing that was going to stop your son from being you. Nothing. You couldn't have changed it. So it's hard to say I didn't lose my son, but you have to accept it. You were not stopping him from doing that. Mm. And, and all of our kids, if that's where they're going to go, we're not going to stop them. But my son said something to me, the opposite. He said, Dad, if I didn't become a fireman, would you be upset? Because both of his grandfathers were both on the job. And I said, Paul, I would be heartbroken if you took this job to try to make us be happy. I says, you have to live your life and you be happy. And I said, whatever that takes for you to do, you do it. You chase your dream. And he's on the fence. He thinks about it. And that, that's okay. You know, he's 21. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. But I would be so upset that he did it to keep us, you know, the tradition going. Um, if it's something you guys want to touch upon, the illnesses that came after, a lot of us are really sick. And, you know, we've all been touched emotionally in a significant way. But um, out of the six guys on the truck that morning, Four of you have some serious health issues, cancers, uh, lung disease. Um, is that something you and Mike want to maybe talk about at all or just, you know, talk a little bit about your experience with that? Um, it's up to you. Yeah, it's uh, like you mentioned, a lot of guys are sick or suffering and, and, and still dying of this. And, <clears throat> uh, you know, initially when you get told you have cancer, and you, you know, uh, I had thyroid cancer at like 30 something, you know, you know, why do you have this? It's a woman's cancer, you know, you should, this shouldn't be happening to you. Um, but thankfully, you know, uh, at that time, um, you didn't even tell the fire department because the fire department didn't have uh, resources at that point. I told my boss, Joe Harris, and he said, call this guy from uh, engine company out. And this guy called me and he said, listen, this is what you do. Get a pad and paper. Give me, you know, the doctors, who to see, what to do, when to tell the fire department. And he offered to come sit down with me and my wife because he just went through this. And he goes, you know, you're going to be all right. This is what you do. And I said, oh, man, thank you so much. What can I do for you? He goes, listen, just pass on the information. So this is when I, you know, I had my first cancer. And, and thankfully, they went in there and they took it out, you know. But uh, it, it still affects me to a certain degree. And then a couple of two years after that, they, they found another cancer, a paragaglioma, another rare cancer that grows on its own. Again, they didn't know what it was. They were looking for a primary. They, they thought this was a secondary. They had no idea. 
you know what? Listen, you can't complain. You can't feel sorry for yourself because we're still here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The lung, the lungs, the lungs were a big thing with me. We were just laughing about a, a job we went to. Andy and I, and the chief ordered me to the hospital because I couldn't breathe. That was in two thousand and three, and so uh, you know I got all kind of lung issues, and I had to hide that for the job because I didn't want to retire. And if the job knew about it, they, they'd send you out. And there's a lot of guys that did that. Um, you know, who knows what the consequences are, but we're still here among the living, like you said, Nels. Yeah, it's no, uh, it's a pleasure. People. And and if you get self-pity or you feel bad, you know, just go to a hospital, go up to Sloan. There's always four or five guys somewhere waiting. You know, Mike won't talk about it, but he was very sick, and he needed to go to Sloan for three months every day. 85 truck, I'll give a shout out to. They stepped up. He was their boss. He got promoted, worked in Manhattan, and he got sent out to 85 out here in Staten Island. And uh, them and us, you know, uh, to this day, companies are still taking care of people or alumni that they never even worked with. But they're, they're doing what they have to right now. Um, and it, it's a testimony to who we are and what we do, you know. But uh, it's a brotherhood of us sitting here at this table. But there's a lot of other people out there that. Uh, are, are the true heroes because we signed on to do this a lot of them have it uh, I, I went out and spoke at different places afterwards <clears throat> it would be at different churches high schools uh, different events and everybody would come up to me I'm a hero I'm like I'm not the hero the guys I worked with are the heroes I just did whatever I could that day me and Mike actually remember talking to him and I said and we felt bad I felt bad about what could we have done better. And Mike, I remember Mike telling me, he goes, Victor, if you can look at yourself in the mirror and said, we did the best we could that day with what we had, then we're doing just fine. And it's true. And of course, every day goes by thinking of that. And that's what I tell myself. I mean, we've had our own personal problems, <clears throat> family problems. Um, like you go to different events and you find out somebody else has cancer, somebody has just passed away like I just found out today. Um, and it hurts, it does hurt. But when I did speak at these places and they're telling me I'm a hero, and what I did, and I said, you know, <clears throat> that day, New York City went down on, like, took a knee that day, we went down on our knee. We took one knee, we took the eight count. But without the support of the people that were there for us at all times, like say, cheering down West Street, wherever we went, we got, we got the great hellos, the cheers. It's the only reason why we made it. I mean, you had some great fire department personnel taking care of each other. Firemen are best men on the job. Firemen are best men anywhere because no matter where you go, no matter what you do, the firemen will make it work. You see something impossible ha might happen, which just did. Who put this together? The firemen put it together. The firefighters put this together because that's what we do. We're proud. Won't take credit, but I'll give you credit. I'll give Mike credit, Mike and Andy credit, and Eric I won't take the credit for it because that's the way you guys operate. And I'm so proud of that, to be a part of the company and fire department of New York City. And, and it's just outstanding. Of course, with Dennis, uh, he's just way up there. Well, um, he's like a second father to all of us. Oh, my God, right? yes. I mean, just uh, so it was, you know, you live with certain things. But then I think about the good things that came out of it, what little did. Uh, and just like being here today talking about, yeah, bring back some memories, some uh, horrific ones but just the camaraderie that we have as a, a company unit department i stand taller we're uh we're lucky we're the lucky ones because we have that family and we'll always have the 114 family and 
to the guys sitting at this table and to, to, to boss Oberg and, and Eric, I love you guys. And, um, we'll, uh, try to continue this on as best we can. You know, it's things we don't talk about. Most of us don't talk about because there's no pride in this. Uh, there's a lot of regret. Um, but there's hope because we're here. We're still living and we could pass it on. And when people do ask, like that girl in the airplane to you, what's 9-11? You know, we're here to tell our story. We're here to tell to the people that we lost, tell their story. Um, everyone fought to the end. No, To this day, we don't stop fighting. You know, whether we're sick or whether we're not working or retired and someone needs something, we all help out the best we can. You know, I give a shout out to my buddy Andy. He's the only one still working on uh, Last of the Mohicans. <laughs> Last of the Mohicans. Yeah, believe it or not. Big J, 30 years in the fire department. But uh, God bless him. Um, I wish we, we wish we were with him, right? We wish I we'd wish. give anything to go back, you know? Yeah, we all kind of wish that, you know? I mean, <clears throat> some of us didn't have a choice. But like I said, God saved us that day for some reason. Um, I'm not sure what the miracle's going to be for me, but uh, there's a reason we're still here. Uh, we, this is what we're doing. We're passing on the message. And that's what I'll take away from this. Guys, I guess I guess that's it. You know, I'm kind of long-winded like this virus. So uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you guys, you know, getting together today. And Andy, for you, you know, giving up your house and your beautiful family putting up with us for a few hours. And uh, guys. Nels, also, Nels, don't forget. Yeah. I mean, I want to say this truly from, oh, the, yeah. from the heart. <clears throat> Our families supported us. Like unbelievable. I know Lillian did, and my girls and Justin were young, Valine and, and Corinne. But when when things happened, I mean, they were there. They were there for us at all times. You know, good and bad. Um, through my therapy that I went to, I always had the support. So without a doubt, through the good Lord and my family, and you guys, Amen. that's what got us. That's what got me through this. The love and support of them and you guys is just. Unbelievable. I think about it every day. Mike brought up before, he goes, uh, you know, to be honest with you, this is the first time the four of us ever sat down and did something like this. Yeah. You would think in 20 years, the six of us could get together and, 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 and just, but I guess there's a reason why we didn't. And who knows what that is. But, yeah. you know, maybe the lesson here is that maybe we should do that a little bit more. You know, maybe the six of us just sitting down and, and just celebrating what we went through and survived and stuff like that. But, yeah, this is the first time. You know, I've spoken with Andy or Michael Vick individually, yeah, but never have we spoken in a group about this. This is no, and I'm twenty years. That. This is twenty years later. Yeah. All right, guys. Was there anything doing? else that? I mean, just unless you something else no. you want to put in there. So. All right, guys. Great job, Nels. Thank, Thank you, Nels. guys. Tally ho. God bless you. Love you all. Amen. Thank you, Tony. All right. I've known these great men from Ladder Company 114 for almost 30 years. Mike Falcone and I have been friends for over 30 years since we attended the Fire Academy together back in 1990. I sat in awe on this morning of our interview because this was the first time I had heard their stories since that horrible Tuesday morning in September unfolded so many years ago. My brave friends battled for their lives that fateful day and they're now battling for their lives again from 9-11 incurred illnesses in a daily struggle to live. America needs more brave, selfless role models like my buddies. It was my honor to serve alongside them and still call them friend and brother all these years later. Working in Ladder Company 114 was the highlight of my life. Please pray for all of us, 
as we now have 10 members of 114 from that day who are now fighting cancers due to 9-11. I'm going to be a little selfish and ask for a personal prayer as I just found out recently that my leukemia may have relapsed. I'll find out for sure in the next few days, but I realize that I might be in for another large battle. It's like that old Springsteen song, The Price You Pay, because I'm willing to pay the price of pain to keep on living this life. I'm thankful and grateful for it and hope to keep on doing it for many years to come. Thank you all for your loyal listenership. And if you've enjoyed these stories, I have a huge favor to ask you. Would you consider filling out a very short survey that asks for your feedback and advice on the 20 for 20 podcast and also about a future project that I'm thinking about? To participate, go to 20for20podcast.com survey. For those who do, we're having a raffle for five Amazon gift cards worth $50 each. Once again, the survey link is 20for20podcast.com. Your help would mean a great deal. While this is episode 20, there will be bonus episodes to come so be sure to check in with us. There also might be some future projects that you might be interested in. Lastly, I want to give a special shout out to all of those who have served our great country in one way or another. From the bottom of our hearts, we thank you, and please stay safe out there. And now before we close, a special message from a dear friend of mine. Hi, this is actor Robert John Burke. I've been fortunate to be a part of projects like Tombstone, Law and Order Special Victims Unit, Gossip Girl, Rescue Me, But I've been even more fortunate to become friends with incredible first responders like your host, Nils Jorgensen. Folks who are willing to sacrifice every single one of their tomorrows so that we can have our today. As Nils so powerfully says, I lost a lot of my friends on 9-11, including my best friend. I felt like I had to pick up the flag for them. So I became a volunteer firefighter and I have been ever since. It's why I'm so grateful you're listening to the 20 for 20 podcast. I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review it and share it with five friends because these stories are so important. Thanks for listening.